so this is the final countdown. No, the final week of our series, Law Abiding Christian. And um, welcome to City Hill. We have the sign in all its glory above the fireplace. We exist, lighten up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. That's our mission statement. Lighten up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. So Andre knocked that out and it's banging. We're going to have a few more signs as well about other core values about the church that we want just visual every single week because living stuff out doesn't just come from hearing something once. There are a few great preachers who down the ages had stuck on a sermon and preached the exact same sermon back to back for weeks and weeks. And they're like, when are you going to preach something out? He's like, when you get it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, that's the kind of thing where it's not like, when you get it, it's the kind of thing like, this is us. This is our life's blood. Like, this is what City Hill is. If it's not us, then it's like, what's the point? So this is what's going to flow out of us. We want to be lighting up our world so people far from God can find life in Christ. Like, that is why we're here. That's why we do this every single week. It's why we meet even in this venue. Everything about City Hill comes down to that. Like, we wouldn't meet in a restaurant if we weren't trying to reach people who are far from God. Like, why would we do that? Why would we meet in a restaurant? It's because we want a place where we feel people can come that maybe they wouldn't normally do church, but they would actually come here and feel comfortable. So everything about what we do, why is our church service short? Some people have said to me, you need to preach for longer. Most of you have said, preach shorter. But some people have, believe it or not. Especially anyone who's visited for the first time, they're like, I was just getting warmed up. I'm like, that's because you're held hostage every Sunday. At City Hill, we don't hold people hostage. It's like a 20 minute, 30 minute tops talk, bang, done. But 20 minute is the aim and a couple songs. There's no like notices going on forever. That's all because of that one phrase. Like I've sat in a church where I felt like, Jesus, come back now, please. Like, I just, I just want to leave. I want to get out. And I feel that's the only excuse where I won't look like a sinner. So everything about us hinges on that statement, but not just for us as a collective as we meet together, but actually for us as individuals, I believe that that is a call upon that God has given for every individual that comes to City Hill that believes this is their church that this is for us, this is our mandate for us to take on as a collective, but also as individuals. Now, back to the series. So we are on week four. We're looking through the book of Galatians and um, we've got chapter five and six to go through today. Um, this series I feel has been like, it's been eye-opening for me. I don't know about uh, you guys. I feel with church a lot of the time, it can be um, a, like a, a moral hierarchy within a church. There are those who are just that little bit more head and shoulders above the rest. Um, that's not our church. That will never be our church. So if you want to feel head and shoulders above someone, find someone else, somewhere else, because uh, that's never going to be who we're going to be. Um, as soon as we become that, I, I don't want to be here anymore, let alone anyone else. And so this book is such an amazing, amazing book. And the way um, it ends, I feel just the last part that we're going to leave on today continues that theme and, and Paul really lays down some really um, tough, tough love. Now this particular part, chapter 5 and 6, I find incredibly exciting because the dogma is over. When we get to chapter 5, the dogma is over. He is now moving past, this is the information that is unnegotiable and this is the absolute belief system here, bang, take that. He's now moving from the dogma and he's transitioning in chapter 5 to the practical, what it looks like day to day um, and how it plays out in our lives. So without further ado, the Apostle Paul, chapter five, Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke, to a yoke of slavery. That's huge because remember, 
um, the imagery of that and how the law came about. The law comes about from a group of people who are in slavery, they're set free, they have no identity, they don't know what their purpose is, they don't have their mission statement. And um, at Mount Sinai, they get their mission statement, they get their values, they get their instruction, they get their law, their code of conduct to live by, and they get all of that given to them. And they take pride in it and they live with that for a huge period of time. I mean, we're talking hundreds and even thousands of years. And um, when it gets to this, this point, um, he's saying, um, it was for freedom Christ sets free. Stand firm, don't give in, and do not submit against yoke of slavery. And when he's referring to that, he's actually referring to the, to the law, which is, is kind of a, a shocking thing. But the law in and of itself isn't bad, as he's argued before, but he's saying what we have in Christ, we're sons, like, it's the promise of Abraham has been given to us, and that precedes the law, and that is epic. It's kind of Paul's idea. So he's like, don't trade the promise for the law and he compares it to slavery sonship and slavery is, is the is the is the um, picture he portrays in the paradigm shift he wants them to go back to look i paul say to you that if you accept circumcision christ will be of no advantage to you i testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law he goes you want to take that one thing just to fit in great well guess what there's a lot more that comes with it you are severed from Christ. That's an image right there. If ever there was a topic, circumcision, snip, snip. Um, that is, oh, wow, pull deep. Um, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. They're exchanging the grace that God has given them, this beautiful gift for their own actions, and it just won't stand. It rejects everything about the goodness of the gospel. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He goes, we don't, we don't do it, achieve it by our actions, we wait for it. We wait for the gift that God's given us. And by faith, we receive it here and now, but we're looking forward to the day of resurrection, we will be like him. Um, eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Forget obeying the law, the truth, the gospel, submitting to that, receiving the free gift. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So I love this because this is the show that freedom from the law does not do away with moral conduct. 
That's a key thing Paul's saying here. So people have argued to them, like, oh, if we do away with the law, then it's like anarchy in this kind of free-for-all. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not. It's not at all. Freedom from the law does not do away with moral conduct. Moral con- obligation is birthed by the spirit from within, God's spirit, and not dictated from the law, external. Hashtag boom. That is what he's saying. Moral obligation is birthed by the spirit, not dictated by the law. So he's like, the drive to do good comes out of God's spirit within us. The sonship, we're his kids. I want to be like my dad. And that is the the driver. The driver is no longer this law attacking, oppressing, and pushing you into this obligation, this weight upon you. The weight has been lifted. It is now, ah, this is amazing. This is so good. I totally want to do good stuff. And there's this shift. And then he talks about all of this can be fulfilled by one word. Now, in that, a few generations prior to this, um, Rabbi Hillel had said, what is hateful, do not do to your neighbor. That is the law. Whatever you find as hateful, do not do to your neighbor. And he was like, boom, that is what fulfills the law. Generations after Hillel, this dude, Jesus, this vocational homeless rabbi rocks up and says, do to others as you would have done to yourself. This fulfill the law and the prophets. Hashtag mic drop. Um, so he goes a step further. He goes like, well, actually, it's not about just not what, it's not about like what you don't do. It's not avoiding doing the wrong things to other people. Um, that's like, okay, yeah, that's the law. You haven't done all these wrong things to other people. But he goes, we want to go a bit further than the law. We want to go to the prophets. We want to go out proactive change within society we want to talk about the spirit of god living and speaking and injecting and what that looks like on a real level here and now so the law is here what not to do great you fulfilled that well how about we look at proactively what i would like done to me and then i do that to others and now boom i don't just fulfill the law but i also fulfill the prophets so jesus had that mic drop paul then as a good disciple of jesus um rocks up with that um, loving one another, that is the law, that is the fulfillment of the law. Um, and then we, we move on um, where he talks about, like, listen, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. He's like, this is all well and good, it's fun when you're maybe the one doing the biting, but there's a problem when you might get bitten back, and at the end of the day, we might not have anyone left at the end of this, this system that you're, you're following. And then he moves to Um, in verse 16 but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh now the RSV translation uh, mistranslates that and gets that horribly wrong it uh, it talks about instead of it being um, a promise it becomes a command like don't do um, the lust of the don't do the, the lust of the desires of the flesh but here what we have in verse 16 in the ESV and in the other translations, we have a promise. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That if you walk in this, this and this is where he's a good disciple of Jesus, because he's not just saying, you, you love one another, it's this proactive thing. You're stepping out and doing this. And actually, you guys are so consumed about what not to do and, and how to fulfill this obligation, this pressure and all this kind of stuff. But actually, you're getting consumed by the, 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 the flesh. And... Um, Actually, if you switch towards this, the spirit of God that he has for you and pursuing love, what happens is as you pursue love by the spirit of God, you don't end up gratifying the flesh. You don't end up doing those things by being proactively doing the good stuff. 
Don't be caught in a trap of fear and oppression of stepping back of, I don't want to screw up. How am I not going to screw up today? Because you're probably going to screw up. I remember my dad teaching me to ride a bike and I learned pretty late because um, I just didn't want to put in the hours. And so I would just run everywhere while my mate cycled. And they came day I was like, dad, I just can't do this anymore. This is killing me. Uh, my cardio was awesome though, as a kid. Um, and then I got on this bike and my dad's going to me, mind the tree. When my dad said mind the tree, it was a long, long way away. But I was so focused on not hitting this tree, I was going towards the tree. And then it got to a moment where I was really questioning my dad's still going, son, mind the tree. I hit the tree. There was a whole park open and there was this tree in front, 20, 30 meters away. And I hit the tree from a position of 30 meters away, at which point the odds, the bookies would have said, I'm not going to hit that tree. I hit it. I was so focused on not hitting it, I hit it which sounds preposterous, but actually in life, when you get so consumed with, I'm not gonna do this, you're gonna do it. But actually, when you fill your life with what you are gonna do, and what you're gonna achieve, what you're gonna pursue, what matters to you, your mission statement, your values, not just as a collective brand, but as an individual, how am I gonna brand myself? Who am I gonna be? What do I wanna be? What am I gonna be about? You don't let stuff happen to you. You don't hit trees in the middle of an open park. Because you're not so focused on it, you end up getting magnetized and pulled towards it. And so he's saying, you want to sit there focusing on this, you're going to end up in a whole lot of mess. You're going to end up consumed by the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh. You're going to be focused on what's good. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, as in like orgies, whatever, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, oh no, drunkenness, orgies, slightly different. And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So he's saying if the Spirit is what gave you life. If this gospel you received was by the Spirit of God, as he asked those questions earlier on in chapter 3, he's now going, if that is how he came to life, which, by the way, is how he came to life. There's no way you've found new life in Christ that the gospel gives and you're walking by your own actions. You're, you're not. It's just That just doesn't work. So he knows that they've already answered those questions in chapter 3, and he knows there's no other answer. So he's gone straight on moving, reconnecting with it and going, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Because you started in the Spirit... Let's keep going in it. It's not now we start by the Spirit and now we do it by our own actions. Um, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then we move into into chapter 6. Now, there's a few things about the flesh. So this is a term that you hear a lot like in in Christian contexts and in Paul's writings. And different people have said different statements about what the flesh is. So um, a theologian called R.J. R. Jewett um, says, the flesh is Paul's term for everything aside from God in which one places final trust. That's a lot of things that it can be. Um, Another person has said, the flesh 
is the power that opposes God. It opposes God. Now, before we move on to this, this, this chap, final chapter in chapter 6 and we kind of draw our series to a close, I want to talk about the film The Law Abiding Citizen and how this one man has something so brutal and horrible happen to him, he gets filled with hatred, which is what Hillel spoke about. We have what Hillel said, don't do hatred to one another, that fulfills the law. Jesus who says, um, think about what you'd like done to you, do it to others, that fulfills the law and the prophets. Paul says, love one another, that fulfills the law. So this guy has this moment where something bad happens to him. And um, if he were in this particular church, now this church has gone to this place because of people giving this teaching to them. But actually, you, I think from people that I've met, they come to this place from one of two time, types of ways. They come here because um, they rate themselves too much. Pride leads you here. I'm a bit better than others. That person's got this sin, that sin. And you look down on them. Some people come here because someone gives them a dodgy teaching in a church and they just heard it and gone, oh, that sounds right, and they go along with it. I've been in churches where I've heard really bad stuff said about, like, um, about God and about the law of God and how it, its relationship to us now that we're in Christ. And then sometimes you come here because something really bad happens to you. And because of that really bad pain, you get filled with something that you feel you're justified to hold. But actually, in view of... God and his gospel and Jesus and what he suffered on the cross, which is more than anything any of us will ever suffer, regardless of how barbaric, because although the torture was on one level, it says he who knew no sin became sin itself. So Jesus experienced the suffering of all mankind in one moment on the cross, if you believe what the gospel teaches us and what the Bible teaches us. So therefore, he had all the sin of those who did the most depraved acts all put upon him and then he faced the one he was most intimate with and received all the judgment for all of us upon himself. Now that kind of suffering and emotional torment goes a bit beyond a CAMS referral. Um, there's not really much in mental health you can do for someone who would receive that kind of level of torture and oppression. No one can even begin to fathom what that was like. And Jesus, he takes that upon himself. And if you think of that and what he's done for us, and he's done that for you and for me, when something bad happens to us and we purposefully focus on the gospel, we can't then come to a wrongful position. But if we don't focus on that and we don't hold that in mind in front of us, uh, and no one does that straight away. I mean, it's, it's, we struggle to deal with pain, obviously. But what can happen is someone, like in that film, where their, their wife can be um, raped in that way, their children can be killed and murdered and their wife murdered, you can understand the hatred fills in and he gets completely full of the flesh and he goes about exercising all his vengeance on everyone and killing everybody. And he feels justified in doing it the whole way through. And it's such an extreme example. And it's not even relative to what the people in this book are going for. Um, but the context of the ideology has similarity. And that's why we chose the title for this series. But I've got a couple of friends of mine who, though they didn't go through the same thing as him, they went through something quite like that. I grew up knowing a boy um, who, who was murdered. And um, I, I, one day his mum and dad walked into a shop I managed. And I got chatting to them. And um, I was hearing their story, story the Donovans. And basically, their, their, their son, Chris, um, well, there was the, I, I met him at a, a church one Sunday morning, a church down the road from my parents. And... Um, Actually, it's so far back now, I'm not too sure. There were two brothers. I think it was Chris who was murdered. Um, if not, I'll have to 
put it in the notes on the SoundCloud. But he was out one day and some guys were drunk and they were rowdy, some teenagers his own age, and they saw him walking along the road and that was it. And they decided to just, just to bang him. No affiliation with anything, they decided to bang him. So they, they, they punched him in his nose and broke his nose straight away, rendered him, uncon- um, rendered him unconscious. And they started beating up his brother as well. And they dragged him out in the middle of this road, kicking because the fight just scrambled all over the place, ended up in the middle of the road. And they left him there and they walked away and they carried on their night. But this road is like, oh man, it's, 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 it's a crazy busy road. Like it's really fast cars going up and down it nonstop. And um, it's like on this hill bit. It's this car goes flying over this hill, full speed. He's laying unconscious on the road, just drags him down the road. Um, he gets an ambulance and that before he gets hospital. He's, he's, he's gone, he's dead. And um, the dad, he's like this guy, he's from East London. Um, right? he's, he's had a proper, he had a proper shady background. Like he kind of has faith in God and stuff and in Jesus, kind of a Christian. But like he, he, he knew all the craze and that growing up. Like he's got a pretty shady background. And he's just filled with this, as you can imagine, your son's been taken from you. He's filled with this absolute rage. And um, close friends of mine were, were Christians and go to the same church as them. And, and they, I think two, three nights after, or whatever that all happened they were around their house and they were just praying for them and um, he'd been given this leaflet I remember him telling me where it said you may not experience joy or laughter for something like six months and this family were just praying for them and so they're in this grieving process where they're praying for them because he's gone to the house because he's about to make phone calls and he's going to go kill kill these kids like that's the kind of place he's in he's ready to commit murder he's ready to do this and they start praying for him for God's forgiveness, for his love and his mercy, and for the Holy Spirit to come. And he just ends up rolling around the floor laughing and crying with laughter. And his son has been murdered just a few days before. And he's just going like, God was just so real. And over this period of time, they came to this place where they went through the court case, um, kid goes down for it, a few others as well. All this stuff happens, but they forgive them. They forgive them, they've write letters to them, they've met with them. And they've met that when their boys, when, when the two boys got sentenced, um, there, there was some exchanges in the dock beforehand that were unsavory. But in the end, he was hugging the parents of the kids that killed his kid. Um, he's going, I've lost my son and you've just lost yours now. No one wins in this. And just, just loving on them, forgiving them. And they go around prisons teaching on forgiveness. And they teach on forgiveness because they're not under the law. Yeah, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. They're not under the law. They're under the spirit of God. They're under the gospel of Jesus. That if he can take that upon a cross and forgive me of my sins, and that the Bible says that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. So they go around teaching on forgiveness. They've gone to Rwanda teaching people who have gone through genocide and had their neighbours killing them and cutting them up and their children up and their wives up in the Tutsi Hutu um, situation. They've gone to Rwanda teaching on forgiveness. They go prison, they go all around the world teaching on this and they've seen people forgiving people and entering into the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's all because of this argument. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because God's son comes, it has nothing to do with him and he takes all of it upon himself and he forgives us that we can be reconciled to God, that we can become sons. And so... With that in mind and that story, we take a shift from law-abiding citizen to law-abiding Christian, and the moral obligation we have isn't a legal one, but it's one empowered and fueled by grace, led by the Spirit of God in love, and in the fruit of the Spirit, and there is no law towards that. 
So what we abide by is proactively pursuing the fruit of God's spirit that we're going to live in that way, intentionally forgiving and loving, that we will see restoration within our community, that we will see restoration in our lives. That actually when we look at things like Black Lives Matters, we will come with this. We want to see restoration. We want to see reconciliation. We want to see equality. We want to see God's goodness in the situation. We want a Nelson Mandela approach to it, that we're going to stand up and we're going to see revolution. We're going to see change and we're going to see a coming together, just like the Bible teaches, of every tribe and every tongue, every creed and every nation. That's the gospel. That's the goodness. And if, if, if we take the law-abiding citizen approach, we're never going to have it. But if we are empowered by God's Spirit and by His grace, we can receive it. So we're going to finish on this final chapter. Chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, he is, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then he has his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his, in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. He's saying, let's bear one another up. Let's look after one another. You see someone hurt, you see someone going through something, you see an issue that's over there, that's now your issue. You see a situation developing, you've got to get involved in that. You've got to be a part of that. It's not just keeping to yourself. And what he says is, he goes, if anyone wants to think they're spiritual. So you get those guys in church to see that, and they look at that, and they look their nose down at that person. Well, if he thinks he's spiritual, he needs to get involved in that. And he needs to get involved in that in the spirit of gentleness. So he doesn't need to stand there aloof looking at that person's situation, feeling all better and pompous about it. He goes, well, if you're something, you think you're something. He says, guys like that, you're nothing. You think you're something. But someone who is something, I can see someone who is something because they see someone hurting in the midst of that mess because sin always causes hurt. And, and they come in and they love and they walk gently with that person through what they're going through. And he goes, there, yeah, ratings, I can see. I can see he's about it. He's about it. But those guys who want to look up and look down, oh, oh boy, oh boy, Paul's like, no ratings. You are not rating them because of how they've fallen. Actually, I'm not rating you because of how you're approaching them. So the Apostle Paul is like real. He's like, you have to come to this with gentleness. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Praise God. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Um, and then this is the final part, and this is how I'm saying how I love how this ends. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want me, uh, who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's going, they, they're only doing this for their reputation. They're doing this to get their rep up. They want you to suffer and go through this for their rep. And, and you know what? He goes, they're doing it so that they don't, have to sta- they don't stand out as being associated with Christians because you're kind of fulfilling that Jewish tradition, that you're kind of in line with that. They're only doing it so they're not persecuted. Don't get it twisted. They're doing it for their rep and they're doing it to make their life easy. And that's the only reason they're pushing you this way. It's about rep and making life easy. Following Jesus and the gospel isn't about your rep and it isn't about making life easy. It's about the restoration of all things. It's about 
the goodness and the life-giving power that God has for each one of us in the beginning and he wants to bring back. For even those who are circumcised do not, keep them, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. Jeez. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my own body the marks of Jesus. Let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So that is the end of our series, Law Abiding Christian. I had to go a bit longer today and I apologise. That's because I had to try and cram in two chapters because last week we went fully in on chapter four and got a bit lost in it. Um, but that's, that's all gravy. Um, yeah, I'm just going to pray and then that will wrap up this series. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your gospel. Father God, I, I, we don't do anything at City Hill for our rep. We don't do anything at City Hill to make life easy. We do this because of the mission that you've given us. We want to be lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. That's why we do all that we do. Um, We don't take pride in anyone else's life that comes here because of us. We don't take pride in any of those things. We take pride in the cross of Jesus. We take pride in the fact that you gave all that we could be sons, that we could be heirs. And we take pride in the fact that you actually call us to share in that mission and that you call us this week to shine bright for you. You call us to flow in by faith, empowered by your grace and through your spirit, Lord, to just outpour love upon all of those people that we meet, that they might see who you are, that we might position ourselves through our actions, which are not an obligation under law, but empowered and birthed through the power of your spirit. We might position ourselves where we can have influence, the way we can share the gospel, where we can invite people to church and to a place where no one will take pride over them, where no one will push them to be something for their own gain, but where we can come together, find our healing in you, that we may bring healing to those around us, Lord. Be with us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.